Don't just do something. Sit there. I realize that some of you think Joe has finally lost it. Um, Just wait. Let me ask you some questions. What would it be like every day to sit in your chair and have a chair in front of you here in which you could talk to your best friend? And your friend is engaged, encouraging, nowhere else would that person rather be? And what if that friend were the Lord Jesus himself? What would be his posture towards you? What would be his heart? Would he care? Do you think that he might be demanding more? And he might just say, you will never measure up. I can assure you he would never say that. But I know us well enough to know that sometimes we might think that as we sit here and as we talk and as we wonder, what more might we do to please him? To get him to love us? When in reality, we know that he has loved us while we were yet sinners. What would it be like daily to speak to Jesus as if he were sitting in that chair? This morning, we come together and we're going to be challenged to be still before the Lord. Some of you know Wally Armstrong. He is a local pro golfer. I met with him recently. Not about golf. If you've ever played golf with me, you know that that would do absolutely no good. In fact, a good round of golf for me is to drive the cart and look for balls in the woods. Now, my best round ever I found 18 balls. I lost 12, never to be found again, but I found 18. When I met with Wally, he told me an interesting practice that he has had for a very long time. He told me of the empty chair, and I'll be calling that this morning the experiment or the dare of the empty chair. A chair that he imagines that Jesus sits across from him and he simply every day goes in his own chair and speaks to Jesus sitting in that chair. While he ran across this concept in a book by an old English pastor in London from nearly a hundred years ago, and his name is Leslie Weatherhead. I found it online this week. And he wrote this book, The Transforming Friendship. And in the second chapter, The Reality of Friendship, this is what he says. An old Scotsman lay very ill, and his minister came to him. As the minister sat down on a chair near the bedside, he noticed on the other side of the bed another chair placed at such an angle as to suggest that a visitor had just left it. Well, Donald, the minister, glancing at the chair, I see I'm not your first visitor. 
The Scotsman looked up in surprise, so the minister pointed to the chair. Ah, said the sufferer, I'll tell you about the chair. Years ago, I found it impossible to pray. I often fell asleep on my knees. I was so tired. And if I kept awake, I could not control my thoughts from wondering. One day I was so worried, I spoke to my minister about it. He told me not to worry about kneeling down. Just sit down, he said, and put a chair opposite you. Imagine that Jesus is in it and talk to him as you would to a friend. And the Scotsman added, I have been doing that ever since. So now you know why the chair is there. Now, this concept sounds perhaps new to some of us, but for me, it really goes back to a story that we all know. It's found in Luke 10. In fact, it's a story about two sisters, and it really pierces my soul because what it does is the Word of God screams that relationship is more important than doing. Relationship is more important than busyness or accomplishment. This morning we're talking about being versus doing. Let me set the context here for you. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he is facing the cross and he stops by the home of friends in the little village of Bethany. Why do you go to the home of a friend? You go for relationship. Jesus did not go there out of duty or obligation or to get a meal, although he probably received a meal. He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Their home must have been a place of refuge for him during his short earthly ministry. And here he knows that he is facing ridicule and abuse and torture and slander and abandonment and death in the days to come. And he goes to the home of friends. Here the word of God is found in Luke 10, beginning with verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I'm going to go back to the chair here and the last couple of weeks I have been practicing what Wally told me about in my office. I have a chair there next to my chair and just using this and imagining that Jesus is right there. So let me pray um, as we open this morning. Father Jesus, we come to you. We know that our lives are really stressful. For some of us, stressful beyond what we can even imagine. We know that um, life has thrown many things toward us, um, even this week. We know that some relationships are strained. We know that um, 
people and friends' health um, is bad. Father, we need you. And we really need to learn to sit at your feet. So would you teach us how we might do that even this morning as we meet together? We pray that you would send your spirit because without the spirit coming, nothing good is going to happen here today. So we do that in your matchless name. Amen. Now, I realize um, that that seems a little bit strange. But why is that any more strange than my standing here and closing my eyes and just praying? I mean, really think about it. One friend after the early service said he uses his passenger seat in his car every day on a long commute to work to pray as if Jesus were sitting there. This morning, we come to talk about Martha and Mary. We come to talk about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let me ask some questions. Do you identify most with Martha or Mary? Hold that question for just a second as I describe to you our world. Simply put, our world is noisy. We are busy. And one thing I find from talking to people is it seems that we are very tired. Do you know what a vuvuzela is? Some of you laugh because you do. Well, for Christmas six years ago, Isabella, um, who's seated right over there, um, was two years old. And she received a vuvuzela from an unnamed uncle. (laughs) And it quickly became her favorite gift. It was not our favorite gift that she had ever received. Um, Vuvuzelas were used in the soccer World Cup in 2012 in South Africa. And many players and fans, and even people watching on TV complained because of all the noise that was made. Now, God calls you and me into deep relationship with himself. And I struggle with deep relationship because of all the noise around me. This is what the world sounds like for some of us. Isabella, can you do it? Little kids can always do it better than I can. It is a terrible sound. Imagine ten thousands of those in a stadium. That's what it was. But you know what? That's sort of like our world. And we live in that. We have all of our cares and our concerns screaming at us for our attention We have bills to pay and we have issues of health. We have relationships, we have work, and the list goes on and on. And then we live in this high-tech world. And they told us years ago that with all this good technology, that we were going to have more time to do the things that we wanted to and to rest and for family. And all the computers and gadgets have come and the emails and the text and the social media And they scream for our attention. 
and it seems that we don't know how to turn things off. Now, we know how to push the buttons, and um, we know how to shut computers down, but it seems like we don't. We get home, and we still work. We go to bed, sometimes working. We awake, working. Sometimes we have dinner with family or friends, and we are texting others. You do know that is rude. Um, people even text in church. Now, if you have your phone out and you have your Bible on it, please don't feel guilty. That's fine. I'm not um, accusing anybody of anything this morning. The fact is, we have a divided attention. And this morning, we will see the one thing that we must receive or must have, and that is to give undivided attention to one thing. We don't know how to slow down and enjoy people. We don't know how to just be with family and friends. But even worse, many times we don't know how to just be with Jesus. Let me take a time out here to talk about being. I had an opportunity this week that I've never had before. An opportunity that I will never have again. Um, Something I will never forget. I went with Sarah Jane to a wedding dress fitting or whatever you call it. Um, Rita couldn't go and Sarah Jane asked if I could go. It was a busy week. And um, for some reason, I said yes. And I will never forget it. Some things are more important than doing. Being beats doing every time. I had plenty, and and I blow it a lot. But I was just being a daddy. How am I going to do a wedding in two months? I mean, you ask me. Um... You know, sometimes um, we have the opportunity to be in a way that we can plan it out ahead of time. Sometimes we have to learn to be in the moment. And that's what we're asking God to teach us to do this morning. The world is noisy and you and I are busy. We're tired. And yet the bottom line is that so often we do not end up sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. What about you? Can you relate back to the simple question? With whom do you identify the most? If I had to introduce myself to you this morning, I would say, my name is Martha. Martha was the busy one. She was worried about everything, preoccupied about all the issues of life, seeing something that needs to be done, And not able to rest until it's done. Not able to slow down. Not able to enjoy life and others. If you've been planning your week mentally while you're here sitting, you might be a Martha. Martha invites Jesus in and then busies herself with all the preparations. Really good things. She is taking care of Jesus and she's taking care of everybody else that's there. 
She's on steroids, working, working, working. And as she works, her attitude gets worse and worse because her sister is not helping. In fact, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary takes the position of a disciple, a learner, a lover of the Lord Jesus. She's not preoccupied with all the preparations. She is being still. Mary was the one who could stop and she could shut things down. She was single hearted and could let something go undone. And it was okay to rest at the feet of Jesus. She knew how to be with Jesus. And Jesus refused to tell Mary to stop being. You know, Marys are often blessed by Marthas, but they are also lonely around Marthas because there's not enough time for a relationship. If you were to put on a name tag this morning, would you be Martha or Mary? Now, if you're a guy and having trouble with that, change it to Peter and John. My name is Martha. If you do not know which one you are, you are not a Martha. You are probably Mary. And what's the big deal about this story? We've heard the story about Mary and Martha many times, but sometimes we've scratched our heads at the meaning of it. And let me ask it this way. Are you a human being or a human doing? Let's look more in depth at Martha and Mary. First, Martha. Martha invites Jesus in. She is serving the Lord. What's the matter with that? Verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha invited Jesus in, but then did not spend time with him. Do you have time for Jesus? Do you invite him in and spend time or are you too busy? You know, Martha really loved Jesus and Jesus really loved Martha. And then he says, Martha, Martha. And in the culture of biblical times, when a name is used like that and repeated, it is always a term of endearment. David says, Absalom, Absalom, when he hears of the death of his son. And Jesus, out of compassion, sees the city and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. For much of my walk with the Lord, I really have not understood why Martha is rebuked here. She is working so hard. She really loved Jesus. She just did not get the value and the importance of relationship. Relationship always means slowing down. Some criticize Martha's hard work in ministry, but that really can't be the message that's being sent here if we look into the context. Because Jesus has just sent out the 72 to work and to minister in his name. And Jesus says at the beginning of this very chapter, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then immediately prior 
to Martha and Mary is the story of the Good Samaritan. The true neighbor was the one who had mercy on the one who was half dead. And then Jesus told the teacher of the law, go and do likewise. Certainly, work is involved in the Christian life. There is a call to us to love others in concrete, practical ways. And here we have Martha being a neighbor to Jesus and preparing the meal, preparing the home, and yet she is rebuked. What's the big deal? Martha is not criticized for working, but rather for heart and for attitude. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha cannot slow down and just be with Jesus. She's become anxious and distracted over all the noise in her life. She becomes critical about a loved one, Mary, who was more about relationship. Martha had expectations of Mary, and Mary did not meet them. Martha had expectations of Jesus, and Jesus did not meet them. And Martha was really ticked at both Mary and Jesus. We know that Martha loved Jesus, and she did not know how to just be with him. She had to be doing. Some have called this the Martha syndrome, never slowing down, talking to everyone all the time, taking on every task that comes her way. Many here can say, my name is Martha. One problem in our culture is that we tend to value the Martha syndrome, the one who just works and works and works. We could tell someone that we work too hard, and in our culture, we might even be validated or even praised. But Jesus might be looking at us and saying, Martha, Martha. You and I sometimes see a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Now, some of us have bought into the mentality behind that, which I think is probably this, that even though we know we have been saved by this beautiful, scandalous grace of the Lord Jesus, we think that somehow we still have to work ourselves ragged, perhaps trying to please him or to get a better status where he would love us more. That's what this story is really about. Jesus wants us, not just our labor for his kingdom. He wants our hearts and our attentions, our focus. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Martha looked busy. And that only served to show that she missed the point. She missed the heart motivation that really mattered to Jesus. And Martha was missing 
the pure relationship. Or perhaps we might even change the word relationship to companionship. We use the word relationship so easily, but perhaps companionship says something a little bit deeper. There's a transforming friendship that the author of the book would talk about. And that's what I'm trying to get at this morning. Jesus is not condemning work here. But Jesus wants to get to Martha's heart motivation and why she's so stressed out. Let's look at Mary. Some would say, well, isn't Mary just being lazy? I mean, she's not even helping her sister. She's just sitting there. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary is sitting and listening. Mary was a woman and she should not even have been sitting at the feet of a rabbi. That was prohibited in those times. And yet, as in many other instances In the New Testament, Jesus turns everything upside down. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary, it seems like, was always at Jesus' feet. John 11, at the death of Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, Jesus comes and John records, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we know what Jesus did. And then John 12, six days before the Passover, we're told, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course. But then it goes on. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure, expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And Mary didn't have some foot fetish here, but she had a singular focus. And that was the Lord Jesus. Mary loved Jesus. Jesus loved Mary. And it's very difficult for us to live a Mary life in a Martha world. The culture we live in, and sometimes even the church, generally does not get excited about a Mary lifestyle. We are usually about Mary or Martha busyness and hard work. What keeps us from spending time with the Lord. Most of us would probably say busyness, but you know, you and I probably have time to do those things that we really want to. We probably make time for certain um, TV shows. We make time to go to the gym or to read our book. Um, There are a lot of things that we make time for because we value them. The truth is we have time to do that which we truly value. And Mary sits here at the feet of Jesus and learns because she values the companionship, the friendship, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We are not told that Mary never worked. Some people say Mary was just lazy. She just sat there. We're never told that she didn't work. 
or that she was lazy. But she did know how to slow down. And she allowed her heart to be nurtured. Many of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata, a lady approaching her 70s now who became a quadriplegic in her teens and restricted to a wheelchair. She was asked by a pastor um, what she most looked forward to when she got to heaven. And you can only imagine the things that we would answer for her about having the use of her limbs and being able to jump and run or, or whatever it might be. But this is what she said. Oh, pastor, I can't wait until I get a new heart, one not prone to sin and selfishness. Friends, that is being. Martha was distracted. Mary was focused on one thing. Martha opened her home to Jesus. Mary opened her heart. Martha saw Jesus as the recipient of her service. And Mary saw Jesus as the giver. What about you? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? In contrast to the Martha syndrome of busyness, sitting at the feet of Jesus might be called the Mary solution. And let me just mention a few things that it uh, might mean. It certainly means this relationship, but I mentioned relationship. You know you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus if you walk with him. And yet it seems like so often in talking about that relationship, we long for something more. So I want us to even rephrase that term relationship and perhaps call it a companionship. There's one author, Dallas Willard, who would call it a vivid companionship. Companionship implies a trust. Do you believe that Jesus will show up in your situation? Do you believe that Jesus is sufficient for your situation right now? Do you believe that Jesus is sufficient for our church right now? A resounding yes would have to come from us if we see Jesus as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. When I worry, and it is a besetting sin that I have, I am listening to all the noise of the world and listening to the enemy sitting on the shoulder who's saying, Jesus can't handle this. He's not big enough for this. And yet God's word tells us to cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Right now, in your situation, many of you need to know that Jesus really, really does care for you. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means relationship plus. It means vivid companionship. It means learning as a disciple. And we are about making disciples to advance Christ's kingdom. You know that. Learning as a disciple means listening. How do you do with listening? I have some people close to me who have told me that I don't listen very well. Well, I can make my defenses, but the truth is, I know I don't listen very well. 
Sitting at the feet of Jesus also means humility. It means submission. It means worship and devotion. It means being empowered to serve others well. When you join this church or any other church, you take a vow saying that you will support the worship and the work of the church to the best of your ability. Well, what does it mean to support the worship and the work of the church to the best of your ability? You support the worship and work of the church by worshiping and working. That's who we are. We are both beers and doers. Worship, sitting at the feet of Jesus, however, is the only thing that's really going to motivate us. It's going to set the context and strengthen us to be able to do the work that he calls us to do. Work for the Lord is great and needed. Taylor talked about BBS, and we need an army to serve there. But the church cannot be the church without our people sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is what should empower us and strength given to us so that we can then serve the church and others well. Years ago, there was a TV documentary that told about the cheetah's survival on the African plains and how the cheetah would run down its prey. This big cat can sprint 70 miles per hour, but that pace cannot be sustained for very long. Within this sleek and fast body, there is a disproportionately small heart. So that means that the cheetah running quickly also tires quickly. And if the cheetah can't catch its prey, the chase is over. And sometimes we Christians seem to have the cheetah's approach to ministry and to life. We jump into great ministries and things that need to be done, but we seem to lack the heart motivation, the staying power um, to keep going. We don't need more speed, beloved. We need more staying power. We need the stamina that comes from a bigger heart. And the bigger heart and the staying power comes from sustained time sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And lastly, sitting at the feet of Jesus means undivided focus. The one thing. Many of you have seen the movie City Slickers. If you're too young to know what that movie is all about, you know how to find it. So go find it and watch it. Um, the one um, actor that you might recognize or all of us might recognize is Billy Crystal. And he and two of his buddies are facing very deep personal challenges. So they decide to go on a cattle run for a change of pace. And the trail proves to be a very tough trail. And the taskmaster, the boss, Jack Palance, proves to be a very tough guy who does not like city slickers. And so it goes sort of like this. Um, Jack Palance asks Billy Crystal, do you know what the secret of life is? Crystal responds, no. What? Palance holds up his gloved index finger and says this. 
Billy Crystal says, your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else. You can, I can't finish the sentence. You'll have to look it up. Um, Crystal asks or says, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Palance says, that's what you've got to figure out. The truth is, we don't have to figure it out because Jesus gives it to us. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The truth is, we do live in a very busy and a very loud world that would absolutely consume us, that would tie our hearts in knots day after day, and would lead us to nonstop worry and anxiety. The noise really is overwhelming. And then we feel guilty and weak, and we want to give up. We don't want to run from the issues and people, beloved. We often do run from the people and issues, but that will never be the answer. What is it that can quiet our fears and our anxieties? What is it that can give us strength and peace and encouragement to keep going? The answer is like a new technology. Some of you have these noise-canceling headphones, and they've been out for a decade or or more now. Um, And Time Magazine wrote this. The principle behind all anti-noise devices is the same. Noise is basically a pressure wave traveling through the air. Anti-noise is the mirror image of that wave, an equal and opposite vibration, exactly 180 degrees out of phase with the noise to be blocked. When noise and anti-noise collide, they interact with what is called destructive interference, canceling each other out. Some of you understood that. The rest of us, we know that they work. Okay? Some of you have these noise-canceling devices and you hear beautiful music. It cuts out the background noise. And in the same way, the truth from Jesus that we learn from sitting at his feet can cancel out our worries and our fears with the anti-noise of God's truth. God's truth is the only thing that will cancel out the noise of the world and that will allow us not to hear and believe the lies of our enemy. Simply put, worship sitting at the feet of Jesus empowers us. It strengthens us um, in our ability to live our lives and to serve others and not grow weary in doing good. When you get pressured, when you get busy, when you get going too fast, do you start complaining? Do you complain about others, um, putting pressure on others to perhaps do what you're doing or to think how you're thinking? Um, Do others ever tell you that you just need to ease up a little bit? Do you get frustrated when others are not active, perhaps in the same things that are your heart passion? Why do we worry as we do, we worry because we don't think Jesus is going to show up. This passage is not teaching 
that all we have to do is worship and be still, okay? This passage is teaching that we need to worship before we work. And we need to worship as we work. This passage is teaching that good service with bad attitude is bad service. This passage is teaching more than anything else that Jesus desires the person. Jesus desires the heart. Let me mention to you the rest of the story from this pastor in London as he continues to write. A week later, the old Scot drove up to the minister's house and knocked at his door. She was shown into the study, and when the minister came in, she could hardly restrain herself. Father died last night, she sobbed. I had no idea death could be so near. I had just gone to lie down for an hour or two. He seemed to be sleeping so comfortably. And when I went back, he was dead. He hadn't moved since I saw him before, except that his hand was out on the empty side, on the empty chair on the side of the bed. Beloved, I challenge you this morning. She asked the minister, do you understand? And he said, yes, I understand. And what he understood was that the master sitting in that empty chair was indeed real. There was a transforming friendship that had taken place over the years. It went beyond relationship to vivid companionship. And may it be so for us today. And I invite you to sit at the feet of Jesus daily. If your prayer life needs some help, I dare you to take this challenge of the empty chair. This chair is really a throne. And our Lord Jesus left the throne to come down and to die on the cross. And we don't just put our hand out to the throne, but we cast our entire lives upon that throne. I challenge you this morning to make it a practice to cast your heart and your mind your very being on that throne and to rest there. Hebrews 4 says it this way, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. I encourage you to choose with Mary. I would invite you during this last song that we will sing in just a minute to come and have a seat and to pray to the throne. Pray for yourself and what's going on in your life. Pray for our church. Pray for your friend who needs prayer. If the chairs are taken, kneel, stand. There are a bunch of empty chairs up here. Pray for your own seat, but would you pray? 
In Band of Brothers this week, we were in James 4, verse 6, where it says, but he gives more grace. And we saw an author who said, his name is Hughes, he said this, that is the answer, more grace. It is literally greater grace, God's gracious supply to live as we ought in a fallen world. There is always for the believer greater grace. This verse means there will always be enough grace regardless of our situation, regardless of our need. Always, he says. And then another author says that if we fall into abject sin, there's still a stream of grace. Paul said, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The author writes, for daily need, there is daily grace. For sudden need, sudden grace. For overwhelming need, overwhelming grace. But then the men and band of brothers said, something's missing. And what they came up with was enduring grace. Because brothers and sisters, sometimes our issues go on and on and on. And we need a sustaining, an enduring grace to meet that need. Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Beloved, Jesus comes and he changes everything. And sitting at the feet of Jesus is the only thing that will convince us that Jesus will always show up and that Jesus is enough. Let us pray together. Father, we come this morning in great need of you. We need to hear from you. We need to sit at your feet daily. Give us the guts to say no to the noise which often invades our world. Work deeply in our hearts so that we value time at your feet. Let us know in the depths of our being the love that you have for us. And let us have such confidence in that relationship, that we shine as reflectors of the glory of the Lord Jesus to those around us. Father, we ask that you would work these things in our lives, for you are the one who has called us, and you are the one who continues that good work until you will come again. We pray in your matchless name. Amen. Let me encourage you as we sing to stay seated. But if you would like to come and pray, please do.